0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 15 of the e-commerce podcast from DataOak. This is your host, Rafael, and I'm joined by my favorite Amazon expert, Pat. Pat, how are you today?
1: (laughs) Not too bad. How have you been? I'm pretty good, pretty good.
0: I'm (laughs) I'm super excited for this. Uh, Yeah, yeah. me too, man. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I couldn't be more excited for today's episode, as our guests are from the hottest e-commerce company in the world right now. And we're joined by none other than the pioneers of ABA aggregation or e-commerce brand houses, Tracio. If Amazon is the everything store, then Trasio is the everything aggregator. And the timing couldn't be better, guys. They just announced a $1 billion fundraise yesterday, bringing their total funding to over $3 billion. Wow. They currently own over 200 CPG brands, and it feels like they're just getting started. Today on the program, our guests are John and Sean. It's a privilege to have you here with us today. And before we deep dive with the millions question we have for you, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please?
2: Sure. Yeah, John Hefter, uh, Senior Vice President of uh, Brand Strategy and one of the founders of uh, Thrasio. So I've seen it uh, from drinking glasses of wine in Carlos's basement, trying to come up with the idea, <laughs> to a little office in a Dunkin' Donuts, to <laughs> however many people we are now. Um, and it's been uh, certainly the journey of a lifetime.
3: Nice. fun. Yeah, I'm Sean Perry. I lead the go-to-market team. Uh, and I just follow the coattails of John, essentially. He tells us some <laughs> beautiful insights, and then we try to materialize
0: that. <laughs> All yeah, right, super fun. cool. All right, let's kick up some uh, some questions. Pat, if you want to get started on the operations side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so guys, we have two sets of questions. You know, One's going to focus on the operations aspect, and the other sort of more acquisitions, m and and stuff like that. So would you like us to just throw the questions at you, and then you decide who's going to answer, or how would you like us to do this?
2: I'm, I'm ready.
1: all right cool so all right let's do this so my first question is you know on the operation side so guys you know pre-covid versus now what's changed you know for or let's say at thrasio apart from the fact that you know you've raised copious amounts of money and now that you know you own over 200 brands i i mean more in terms of you know operations ethos wise learnings what's changed
2: that's a, that's a really good question. We can take it in many different directions. Um, you know, I, I think a few things that come to mind is a return to simplicity for us, right? We grew so big, so fast um, that uh, we started sort of putting our hands in, in all sorts of different kinds of pots. And at one point, we were just like, you know what, let's just actually try to make our work as simple as possible. So instead of trying to build a Rube Goldberg machine of, of brand operations, we just wanted to pull as many simple levers that affect that ease and impact hierarchy as possible. And so for us, from a directionally as an ethos system, it's sort of like a back to basics mentality. Um, and that also includes our on the acquisition side, right? It's sort of like taking in businesses that fit our wheelhouse directly. Um, obviously, post-COVID inventory has been a massive struggle for everyone. Um, with the iOS update, outside traffic has been more difficult than ever. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't do those little incremental wins that at the end of the day are really what affects growth. Everyone sort of looks for the the magic bullet hacks, right? I even go, I go, I talk at conferences all the time and and that's one thing. They're just, they're writing down that like the, they believe this, that the way to operate their business is if I just stack enough hacks on top of each other, I will be world champion of whatever, right? But really it comes down to managing people. It comes down to executing the sort of, uh unglorious little wins that come by doing small things right and stacking those things up over time. Uh, and that would, that's what draws you closer to victory.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, with Amazon, there's no silver bullet, right? You have to just manage so many moving parts yeah. at the same time. All right, cool. Got, yeah, you know, you, you've you x so many of the brands you've purchased, right? So what's your secret to scaling? Or let's say, in other words, what's Thrasio's core competency today?
2: That's, that's a really good question also. I, I think really what it comes down to is uh, esoteric excellence across a lot of domains, right? So we really understand supply chain. It might not always be perfect, but we get it. We have very high-quality branding people. We have some of the best Google people on the planet who work for us, right? So we have outside traffic sources, and we have really solid and experienced brand operations, um We have people who understand the back end of Amazon really well, so all of the the pieces that you want done right are are there um and it doesn't mean that every brand we acquire has that sort of potential to ten x. I think that would be hyperbolic to say the least um but you know what we try to do is basically take in a brand and what generally happens is they're a one to three person core team who has some DA's somewhere else right? Um, and they're good at a few things. They're awesome at branding. They're great product people. They have really good connections to supply chain. They're really good at PPC, whatever it is. It's very rare that that small group is good at everything. So a lot of times it's just us plugging in our stuff. That's really, I'd love to give you a more glamorous answer than that, but you know, like (laughs) at the the end of the day, I, I think it really comes down to, um, to, uh, to that entirely, right? And, that, and then we, we look at it as uh, there always will be some diamonds in a rough, right? And and one in let's say 20 are type, type of brands that we look at it and we can be like, look, we can angry orange that thing and, and yeah. take it from two to 50 million bucks, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so we're working on on identifying those earlier and creating teams that essentially replicate that for us in the future.
1: I, I love that response, you know, about esoteric excellence, because I'm sure with your 1,000 employees, you have excellence across all sort of, you know, functions, uh, you know, involved uh, on on Amazon. Uh, all right, cool. So my, my next question is, you know, how because of, you know, so from what I understand, Thrasio is focused heavily, you know, in the, in the CPG segment, right? So because of the low price points, you know, reaching profitability online and CPG is hard, right? But according to a report I read at the end of last year, Thrasio was registering 20% profitability or somewhere in the double digits. How are you doing that? I mean, is, you know, yes, I understand you're bringing in, you know, let's say Google traffic and stuff of that, but can you maybe tell us a little bit more?
2: Sure, we uh, we actually um we send mafia guys to all the factories and now we've worked down the prices no i think uh, uh, every uh, every business we acquire the beautiful thing about looking at a PL of an amazon business right is, is things are generally very clear as to what the margins are and the marketplace is in essence fairly steady right so it, it allows us to kind of understand what we have before we acquire it um, and likely where things are going. And then we have the buying power to maybe renegotiate inventory and and tweak some other things, or we have better deals on affiliates or whatever it is, right? that where you can find uh, profitable efficiencies in in certain places. So for us, it's more just knowing what we have and and staying away sometimes from big businesses that are that we might feel are dangerous to us. So I'll give you an example of one. Uh, a few years ago would have been one of our bigger deals. Um, and it was uh, in the in the home space, and they ran their their company, and I believe I'm, yeah, I could be paraphrasing here, they were doing about 20 to 25 million a year, but their profit margins were nine percent on a very low cost product uh, product. So while we'd love to pick up the revenue and the EBITDA from that, the the reality was is that a 50 50 cent price move on that product, could just totally destroy your business. Right. So for us, it's like, all right, well, stay away from those risky ones and look at ones that have, um, healthy margins that we can leverage in the future. And the reality is if you have a good product and you have a really good review moat, um, you can keep an asset fairly stable from a performance standpoint, uh, and you look for efficiencies elsewhere.
1: We're going to come back to this point today about the review mode, uh, John, but yeah. I think this is a good setup uh, for even the, uh, Raf's next question, I think, which is for Sean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was I was wondering, as part of product launches, aside from um, line extension, do you also rethink products? Um, for example, a major company which has traditionally operated offline, when you wanted to begin selling detergent uh, online, for example, it basically taught that product and, and removed the water from it so has to adapt it for uh, the online uh, space. Do you engage in that kind of stuff also? Yeah, definitely. It goes back to like what John said about operational efficiencies,
3: right? We always are looking for those one or two simple movements that we can do with the product to help make it you know, better profit margins, much better customer experience. And we look at that from anything that we already have to new acquisitions mm-hmm.
0: all the way across the board and could you, yeah. could you could you could you give like a, an example of that like a cool example of like a product that you completely or or like change as
1: well, you mean, can call product no, rethinking I mean, easy this, this is a this is a beautiful
3: example to do a plug for one of the products that just launched today was our catchy duo right we we took um a very great product and we mm-hmm. distilled down everything the customer loved into a smaller better package and nice. it it released today i mean This is a great example of our team coming together and redesigning it from the ground up, which you almost have to look at in every product line is how can a development standpoint or marketing standpoint give new life to this product?
2: We'd we'd always like to launch uh, bug catchers going into winter, but, you know, not everything's (laughs) perfect in life. Yeah. (laughs) But we think it's going to be a great product for us. So we're excited about it. Cool.
0: How did Trasio prepare for uh, Q4? 2021, as in uh, given the amount of uncertainty vis-à-vis shipping, cost, uh, shopping behavior, how do you trust your forecast demand and ensure uh, adequate supply?
2: Uh, you have your first Q4 meeting around St. Patrick's Day? When's that? Sorry. That's a glorious holiday. Oh, yeah. it's, at, it's like mid-March, mid-March here in the States. Uh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> are ready. Okay. Yeah.
0: Got it. That's a good one. I really love this one. During COVID, e-commerce was well, clearly booming. Uh, every Everybody and their grandma, my grandma too. Uh, <laughs> so a sales boost, clearly. How difficult does that make it for Tracio uh, when conducting due diligence on a brand? Uh, like how do you decide if the sales peak, the brand so will stay or disappear in the post-COVID world?
2: Um, it's, I think it's really just pattern recognition, right? Like yeah. you can pull um, even things outside of of amazon to see how much interest in a product gains you know i'll give an example we had one right when the lockdown started in uk uh of course we stocked out of this but i find it hilarious like we had this jump rope that was doing less than i'd say like i don't know, let's say 1500 bucks a week and all of a sudden and one day did one hundred and ten thousand dollars in sales wow. you know wow. obviously obviously that's like a, a massive covid bump right <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. there's certain there's yeah. certain categories um where you just see this really arrhythmic bump in in their performance. Uh, and then as sort of lockdown eases across America, and particularly you'll see things sort of settle back down to normal. So mm-hmm. we don't totally discount some of the earnings that were gained during that period, but we just have a reality check. And any honest seller who's really trying to do a deal is not going to try to hoodwink you over like, Oh no, this is going to continue forever. Yeah. right. So it's just you look at an assessment of um, search volume and sales across the entire category, not only across their business, mm-hmm. to see where those waves are. And if the seller really believes that no, this is actually the new reality, then we'll say, okay, well, let's just prove it together. and yeah. we'll we'll build an earnout structure that allows them to capture that upside if they're right.
1: You know, John, I was just reading that during COVID, you know how all of these pet shelters everywhere, they were just running dry because everybody went and got themselves a little nice dog, etc. Now that people are returning to work, they're sort of taking these pets back to, you know, uh, the shelters and saying these were abandoned uh, stuff, you know, uh, animals we uh, saw. So clearly, I think the demand for pet products will maybe sort of go down to some extent. This is to your point where, you know, you mentioned that, uh, the demand for certain things will go up and then start to maybe, you know, Well, go well
2: thanks for bringing up the feel-good story of the year. <laughs> 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 <is so>
1: sad. <laughs> well, all right. So my, my, my next question is, you know, with billions, you know, having been poured into the space, right? I think close to 10 billion or something. And now there's like 70 players. Some say that it's become a buyer's market, you know, the brand's market. Have multiples of EBITDA gone up over the last one year?
2: Yes. I mean, it's it's I, I think it's a seller's market, actually, I think is what you were trying to identify there. Yeah. Like, um, yes. Um, and I, I believe they're getting to a point where they're sort of stabilizing now. Um, it, look, I can't predict the future, but if I was to look at uh, every other bubble in history, right, like the rate at which fast money is being thrown at this industry um, and how aggressively people want to deploy it, uh, will mean that some people who aren't capable of actually managing these businesses will get their hands on them. right? And when, and when that actually happens um, and they start to falter uh, at very high multiples, which doesn't allow for a lot of forgiveness. And so you have to remember, we were paying very low multiples while we were learning how to do this, which allowed us a lot of forgiveness in some ways. Yeah. Right? If we weren't yeah, performing that's perfectly, a very good point. Yeah. Then, then it still was a, a good investment. But if if you push something up, I'm making this number up now, but if it's a, a 10x multiple and you start to screw up in Q1 or you get something suspended for 30 days, yeah. it becomes like a, a very tenuous situation at best. So my prediction is somewhere over the next year, um, some of the people entered the space are going to falter. And some of that money, which again is pledged but not guaranteed, is going to start to dry up and we'll never return to the two thousand and eighteen multiples that were there um but we'll sort of like we'll settle so if i was to say like you know it went like here and it was here it's going to kind of settle down here somewhere and and the wheat will separate from the chaff the good players yeah. will continue to operate and there'll be plenty of them in, in, including us of course uh and the industry will sort of carry on as normal so i would say if you're a seller coming out of a like a, a post-covid bump in the market right now where multiples have gone up crazy, it's a good time to at least yeah. consider what your options are. Yeah. Because this sort of like rising up forever mentality, yeah, you know, you might get yourself in a situation where you, you have some serious regret.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. You, you know, uh, John, I was just reading a, a study on FBA aggregators and it said that 46% assert that they require minimum operating history of one year for, you know, for a potential acquisition target, while 17% said that they don't require any operating history. This, to me, is already a bad sign. You know, it means that they're looking to acquire any and every brand that's out there just to sort of meet the numbers. So I, I, are you suggesting that we might start to see, let's say, an aggregation of aggregators in the sense maybe an M&A in the M&A space?
2: I think it's totally feasible. Um, that's the uh, rumors of that have are, are already swirling around our camp. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's just like, I'll, I'll give a very extreme example. You get someone who decides to buy a hot supplement company. I'm just making this up. Right. Um, and they don't realize that almost every sale from that supplement company is entirely vaporware. Right. It's, um, you know, it's someone from like uh, a place where nefarious activities are common They find a way to um, buy reviews or buy sales or do whatever it is to, to, you know, to make their business look good. And the people in the diligence don't have the experience to identify that this is like an unscrupulous actor. They buy. I'm just making this up. They buy. They're doing five million a year in supplement sales. Right. Right. Um, They have great reviews. The new people take over. It goes down, and immediately it's a million dollars in supplement sales, and their score goes from four five to three eight.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's
2: a very extreme example, but like
1: well, that's it's, the. It's happening, right? Because Amazon just suspended so many brands, uh, yeah. you know, for having bought uh, stars and reviews and all that stuff.
2: So, so I, you know, I, I think that's the, that's where some of these inexperienced operators might get into themselves in a little bit of a, a pickle, right? And then they'll look to mm. get out of trouble, and, um, you know. I I, I don't want to be like a a gloom and doom prognosticator by any means here. Like, I I think we're going to have a very healthy ecosystem. But I think on the tertiary, there's going to be some stories that are that are something akin to this.
1: Agreed. Agreed. So my, my, my next question is slightly related, you know. So, so John, there, there was a time when e-commerce brand houses, you know, they were willing to purchase, let's say brands, which had a hundred K of e right? Now, given that PPC costs have risen, you know, inbound shipping costs continue to rise, you know, shipping is like 4x what it was back in January. You know, I'm talking about the container costs and stuff like that. So do you think that FBA aggregators are now looking to raise the minimum e-beta to something more in the camp of, let's say, 500 K or a million? Because a hundred K of EBITDA simply is just too risky, right? It doesn't provide enough wiggle room.
2: Um, I think some are, and some aren't like you have to look at a risk profile in, in two different ways, right? There's not a lot of wiggle room in a hundred K EBITDA business, but there's yes. also not a lot, not a lot of risk, right? From, from the the money that you're taking in. So it's who's yeah. taking big bites of the apple and who has in a, in a very simple, like game theory way, how do they look at the risk of your portfolio, the businesses that you own in relation to the bet you're taking right now? So for, for a company of our size, a 10 million EBITDA company, as crazy as that sounds, is not a massive risk. <laughs> right. Right.
1: It's not. Yeah. Only trust you could say some, uh, something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but, but, <for, laughs> but for others, you know, like uh, a, yeah. a $2 million EBITDA company, yeah. would, their investors would only care about that. Yeah. Got it. So yeah. so it's like yeah you have you know I so I think there'll there'll be opportunities um for all levels for people who who want to exit. But those people who are at the 100K, what I what I want to say is like, have you pushed yourself far enough? Could your 100K actually become 500K, a a million in a year and a half if you just hung in there and do the things, the hard things you know you have to do to make it either a brand or to take a loan out for inventory to drive sales, whatever it is, yeah. um, how much unrealized gains are you, are you, are you willing to sacrifice?
1: Agreed. I, I think this is a good setup for Raf's next question. Yeah. Uh, I was
0: listening yesterday a podcast where uh, Carlos Cashman uh, was saying that Amazon follows Matthew's principle. Uh, to those who have everything, everything will be given. Uh, He stole that that line from me, Carlos. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And I've stolen it from all of you, believe me. I've I've said it like 10 times now. (laughs) John was
0: saying on a podcast, (laughs) uh, everything will be given. We've seen that in any given category on Amazon. Um, The top 30 brands tend to be dominant. And that makes sense, right? I mean, they create that that ratings mod uh, and then the flywheel effect takes over and everything. As such, in say, a given category, if four or five aggregators buy out most of the top brands will another mom and pub owned brand even be able to emerge i mean do they stand a chance today
2: oh of course yeah okay. and and i that's actually, actually it's it's the matthew principle so it's not like i didn't steal that from someone anyway the, to those that really <laughs> but it, it's it's just it's like just an iteration of like the pareto principle which is like the 8020 rule right it's yeah. it's the same it's the same across like every domain it's like you know the uh, top yeah 50 music artists produce like 90% of the revenue in the space, you know, whatever whatever it is. It's the same same across, um, you know, our our world here. But here's the issue. When you are acquiring brands, the rate, which I believe Carlos said, we're at one and a half brands per week right now, right? Um, That's a lot of work to do right and also Sean it's, it's, uh, it's, Sean, it's,
1: <laughs> yes. it's 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 a,
2: it's a ton of work and and also it's uh it's a ton of distributed focus so we okay. we talk about this sort of conflict all the time if our top minds were to sit down in a room and only focus on one brand for x amount of time mm-hmm. we know we'd get Y amount of output there and we could take this one thing and make it amazing at the cost of everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's,
2: that's like our balance The where the, the savvy new winner can do. And I use this example all the time. If I was to enter, enter like the lemon squeezer space, right. It's like, I don't know, I'm making this up. 10,000 people sell in that space. All the squeezers look the same. How are you, how are you going to win? You probably have some direct factory sellers selling for a much yeah. lower cost. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like, all right, well, I'd come up with like a branding play probably. And I'd make stronger hinges that I would patent and I would make it a different color. And I do a video where it's like breaking a watermelon in half or an (laughs) avocado seed or whatever it is, or doing like 20,000 squeezes. And it looks exactly the same. And I call it like the gorilla squeezer. I don't know, something like that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and then I have a chance at winning in that, in that category, even at a higher price point, because I built like a, a brand, let's say. Right. Um, we're not going to do that. Like not not to any no. not to any massive. We will do it in in certain very specific cases where we see like a a real opportunity. But small sellers still can and they can obsess about those little minutiae that yeah. can like yeah. really help drive their business in the future. So I'd like the idea that we're going to kill the small business person, which, by the way, our business relies on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's
2: like I I don't think um I don't think that's the that the case. Yeah. It might be harder though because it's more it's harder because advertising costs more now, shipping costs more now. That's what's going to make it harder, not people like us entering the space.
1: Agreed. That, that brings us to our last question. You know, the last guy I used to work for, he used to like saying, "With scale comes complexity," right? And you guys have scaled so much in the last one year, right? So you know, one thousand employees, two hundred brands. What are some of the complexities you're seeing creep into the system, and how are you dealing with them?
2: <laughs> that's good. Yeah, uh, he, that, you whoever know, said that's a smart dude. Kinds of <laughs> you know, like whoever said that's a really smart dude. Uh, like I, I would say, like I miss the days um, <laughs> you know, where, like, like if I needed something, I could just yell across the table with every department, <laughs> you know. And we were like a like a little pirate ship, and yeah. Uh, you know, so to, to get Angry Orange off its feet, like I'm I'm on the phone with like my creative person yelling at them to get me 19 different variations of this thing. I'm calling the supplier and say, like, if you don't do this for me, I'm going to come to the factory myself and, bottle, you know, like and all that. And like yeah. and, and we could just do and We just did stuff. Yeah. Right.
1: Was now, that you, John? I was reading an interview where somebody said that uh, they picked out the right color for the bottle of angry orange after looking at like 20 different colors was that you
2: that was me yeah that was me. oh wow yeah. okay all right um so but anyway so like but that those those days are, are are long over we have systems we have processes right we have uh um more investors who are interested in what we're doing and how we're doing it and we have spna teams and hr teams and we have interdepartmental politics and we have like there's there's a thousand more layers to things than yeah. there were before, which is why I open up this interview by saying, like, we are leaning into simplicity as much as possible.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, that's it's harder to get weekend, things yeah. done
2: too when you're a big moving. We're a cruise ship now. We were a pirate ship before. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Yeah. Like
2: turning into any harbor, you know. Uh, and and now like we're this giant ship. Yeah, and so it's really hard to to reconcile those things. Um, But Carlos does a great job of saying this often, which is just like, everything's more complicated than you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, be very careful with like the, the new things we take on. And uh, yeah, it's the, it's the only thing that keeps my head spinning sometimes, which is just like, we see a problem that used to be so simple to solve, but now there's 19 parts connected yeah sometimes it's like if you ever try to do this don't maybe don't do this but like <laughs> try to think about like the creation of the universe and how it actually started <laughs> eventually your mind will just turn away you're like ah it's too much yeah <laughs> okay, too right? much this yeah <laughs> well, and like we get that feeling sometimes you
1: yeah. know john in the age of social media i can't think about anything for more than 30 seconds that's my sort of attention span now so you know that's what uh... <laughs> yeah well thank you so much guys uh, i don't yeah. have any other questions uh, i don't know raf do you Where are you guys uh, based right now? Like, where are you talking to us from?
2: Uh, Sean's in uh, Salt Lake and I am in the Boston area.
1: Boston area, got it. Well, Lots of activity there. There's Perch there, there's you guys, and I think there's another player, if I'm not mistaken. uh, I can't recall, whatever. 70 brands uh, yeah. 70 e-commerce aggregators imitation is flattery you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> well guys from 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 paris france thanks a lot really for 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 being uh, on our show it was uh, yeah. I, I learned a lot of things it was a pleasure Absolutely. to meet you, both of yeah. you and uh, yeah real pleasure to chat uh, with you and yeah. uh, we see you all next time bye-bye
1: thank you thanks, thank you guys. so much guys see you yeah. bye-bye talk to you later bye